My name is Beverly Ford, and I am the chair of the Spiritual Ministries Committee here at North Fresno. It is my honor to introduce our guest preacher, my dear friend, Darina Gilmore-Young. We have been friends since before we had children, and my oldest is 18. Darina is a wife and a mama of three beautiful girls. She uses her gifts as an author, Bible teacher, and spoken word artist to see God's glory all around us. Whether she is writing about chasing God's glory in our everyday life, like in her children's book, or inviting us to press into the myriad of emotions that come with grief, she writes from the spaces she has met God and invites us to journey with her and find God's glory in our everyday lives. I am excited to hear what God has to say to us as a church about his peace through her today. Please welcome with me, Darina. Thank you, friend. Good morning, North Fresno. So good to see you. I'm honored to be with you this morning. Advent is my favorite time of year. I love the candles and the carols, and I love gathering with family. And I see some family in this room, some of you that I know, and some of you who are part of my extended family in Christ. This morning, I'm going to be sharing on the theme of peace, which is the candle that we lit on the Advent wreath this morning. And I want to start by sharing with you the day that our family's peace actually was shaken. I remember I was standing in the middle of the community garden with my daughter's second grade class when I received the phone call. My husband's voice on the other end was hushed and markedly different from his typically gregarious tone. Results of biopsy, melanoma cancer, stage four. His diagnosis felt like kind of a sucker punch to my gut. I stood there frozen somewhere between the corn and kale, and I thought, how could this be? My healthy, athletic husband, at the prime of his life, age of 40, cancer? I struggled to breathe. My head swirled with various scenarios, but I felt stress paralyzed. I couldn't move. The fear started to suffocate me. We had known for weeks that this strange bump was growing on his hip, and I had witnessed his increasing discomfort, but I never really let my mind wander to the C word. And now it was here. And I was trying to process both the physical presence that I was in and also my fears about the future. My eight-year-old's voice interrupted my thoughts. Mom! Come here. Hovering over a bush with the other kids huddled around her, she motioned me to come over. And I entered this circle of kids full of wide-eyed wonder, and then I spotted it, a butterfly, with paper-thin wings and pale yellow outlining the inky black. It sat perfectly still on a leaf, and the kids were drawing in close and holding their breath. 
taking in all of its glory. And right there, in downtown Fresno, with buses and cars careening past us, with cracks in the sidewalk and trash in the streets, we had come face to face with a glimpse of God's glory. And it was like this perfectly timed reminder for me that there is beauty when we press into the hard things. It seemed like a small thing, but even today, it remains a big moment in my life because God saw me in that moment. And like that butterfly, I was about to endure a very painful yet beautiful metamorphosis in my life. I remember that difficult first night when friends from our life group and family members came over to our home and we got on our knees and we prayed. And I cried and I questioned and gathered with the people there. We asked God to heal. And I never imagined that my husband would graduate to heaven in just three short months after that day. I never imagined that I would find myself a widow at age 37 with three little girls, ages two, five, and eight years old. But somehow, in the chaos and in the crying and the uncertainty about the future and the gaping hole in our family, God gave us peace. I discovered peace is not the absence of grief. It is not the absence of tension or chaos. Peace is a person. And so I want to ask you this question as I begin today. What is robbing your peace? Maybe it's too much on your plate. Maybe it's calendar squares that are just a little bit too packed. Maybe it's a devastating diagnosis or the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's division in your community, in your family, in your circle of friends. Maybe it's thinking about this war on the other side of the world that is raging today. God gives peace to us as a gift, but that gift comes in the midst of turbulent situations, in the midst of grief, in the midst of uncertainty. And his definition of peace is very different from what a lot of us in our culture tend to think that peace is. That peace is a calm Christmas. Not realistic with a bunch of kids. That peace is some kind of universal world peace without any fighting. What I've come to realize in my life and through his word is that he cares most deeply about peace in our hearts. And so today I'm going to read for you from one of our Advent passages, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. And just, I want to preface this by saying that, you know, Isaiah was a prophet, and we quote him a lot during the Advent season. He was known as the poet prophet. And in the book of Isaiah, he was writing to the exiles in Babylon after the fall of Jerusalem. And he was writing also to future generations. And the history is that Israel had been warned time and time again that God was the only one who could protect them from Babylon and Assyria, but they didn't trust him. 
They relied on their own strength. And as a result, they were exiled from Jerusalem. And so Isaiah is speaking. He's defining everything for his readers according to what God was doing, his glory. And this passage that I'm going to read for you actually is a description of the future. And it's the future when punishment has ended and the Messiah has come to restore peace. And so we return to prophets like Isaiah during Advent to remember who God is, his character, as well as the plan that he has laid out to send his son to earth as a baby. So if you'd like to follow along in your Bibles or you can read it up on the screen with me, I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 11 in the NIV version. It says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fail, fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. See. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This is Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. There's so much that we can learn from this passage and from this prophecy. But today, what I want to center on is how peace is embodied in the Trinity. And I want to start by talking about God the Father, because we see that each role of the Trinity is both distinct and complete. And the Father is our shepherd who is a blend. In these verses, we see that he is a blend of both tender and strong. In verse 1, it talks about comfort. In fact, the word comfort is repeated a couple of times. It's called a double imperative, which basically means the comfort was great. So God's comfort is great. It's weighty. It's intentional. And then in verse 2, we see that God speaks tenderly. 
I love this description of our God that he would speak tenderly to us, that he is encouraging. In verse 10, we see another side of God, that he is the sovereign Lord who comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. And so again, then we are seeing God as strong. He's both tender and strong. He is sovereign. He is at work. He is powerful. He is mighty. And verse 11 then drives home for us this view of God as a shepherd, that he tends his flock like a shepherd. And I love this imagery of our father God, the shepherd, who gathers lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart that we serve a God who cares for us when we are vulnerable, when we are grieving. He cares for the most vulnerable in our communities. He is a God who shelters, he comforts. And then even in verse 11, it says that gently he leads those who have young. And so for those of you who are parents or maybe even grandparents in the room, an encouragement to know that the good shepherd leads us as we lead our young, that we can trust him to lead us well. Now, the second part of the Trinity that I want to talk about today is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit actually guides us with peace. So the Father shepherds us, and the Holy Spirit guides us with peace. The words that Jesus says in John 14 are often quoted as we talk about the Holy Spirit It says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So Jesus is assuring his listeners with these words that they do not have to fear. In fact, it echoes what Isaiah says in the scriptures that we do not have to fear, and we know that that command is all throughout God's word. I think they say even 366 times, so one for every day of the year and leap year included, that we do not have to fear. And so the Holy Spirit guides us with peace. And these are a few things that he does. He advocates for us, he teaches us, and he reminds us of who God is and God's work. And so this passage reminds us again that the peace God offers is different from the world's view of what peace might look like. In verse 27 of John 14, Jesus echoes a common Hebrew greeting. He says, peace, my peace. You may be familiar with the word shalom. But he uses it kind of in a unique way here to point to the peace and rest of our spirits that come through salvation in Jesus Christ. Another scripture in Isaiah speaks about peace of mind. This is one of my favorites. Isaiah 26.3, it says, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you our minds can be anchored in a perfect peace when the Holy Spirit helps guide us to trust him. And so I want you to think about what would that look like in your own life if you were in tune to the Holy Spirit guiding you, that you could actually have a perfect peace in your spirit. 
And that leads us to the third part of the Trinity, Jesus. Jesus the Son, who comes as the Prince of Peace. And this is what we celebrate during this time of year that we look forward to, we are longing for, we are waiting for the birth of Christ. Isaiah prophesied in chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. I love this name, Emmanuel. God with us is the translation. He is with us in our grief. He is with us in our anxiety. He is with us in our challenges. He is with us. In Isaiah 9:6, another prophecy that looks at Jesus and his role, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is key to our understanding of peace. Because Jesus is the peace child who came as a baby and he ministered among the people, died on the cross as a substitute for our sins and was resurrected from the grave by the Holy Spirit and then ascended to the Father. And so Advent is about waiting. And it's waiting not just for Christmas and not just for Jesus' birth because we live on this side of the cross, but also for the second coming of Christ when he will be the prince of peace, ruling again here on earth. So he's our peace for the present, and he's our peace for the future. The psalmist warns us in Psalm 34, 14, turn away from evil and do what is good. Seek peace and pursue it. So here's the thing about peace. We actually do have to pursue it. We have to seek it out. And so I want to share with you five kind of practical ways that I do this in my life, and I want to encourage you to seek and pursue peace in your own lives as well. It starts with surrendering, surrendering control and walking in trust. And I know that that is easier said than done. Because when we are facing trials, we often let our minds kind of wander to the worst-case scenarios. I know I do. We entertain those fears and those anxieties, and we let them kind of take rule in our hearts. And we actually have to intentionally seek peace in those moments by separating the lies of the enemy from the truth in our hearts and the truth in his word. So, for example, when my husband was diagnosed with cancer... I was fraught with fear. I feared being alone. I feared raising our daughters without my partner. I feared for the future because we worked in ministry together and I didn't know what my career would look like. And so every day I had to lay down those fears. And I had to turn to God's promises to me that he would never leave me alone. And I remember one of the promises that I clung to, especially in those early days, was Isaiah 54, 5. The poet prophet speaking to me again to hold fast that God is my maker and he is my husband. The second thing that we can do, it may seem obvious, but it gets squeezed out a lot, is to meditate on scripture 
And so one of the practical things that I've done throughout my life in different ways is to read scripture, to write it out, and even sometimes to memorize it. A mentor of mine, um, she years ago encouraged me to make a little notebook. And I could just get those at the Dollar Tree, those little notebooks that have a spiral bound on the top, kind of like a note card. And I would write out verses in each season of my life. And those verses were ones that I could grab and kind of flip through in those darkest moments of grief or when I kind of felt like the fear was overtaking me. When I focus my mind on the truth in Scripture, I actually have less space for the stress and the worry. And this proved to be really helpful for me, especially in those early days of my husband's cancer journey and even after he went to heaven. And so here's one of the verses that I clung to in Isaiah chapter 43, 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. I clung to those words. I read those words when I felt fearful or insecure The third thing is to fill our hearts with music. Music is another way that we can fix our minds on God's truth and also calm our fears. And I love the story in 1 Samuel chapter chapter 16 when David actually is playing the lyre for Saul because Saul is being attacked by this harmful spirit. And it says the music calmed and refreshed him. Just hearing David play the lyre change the atmosphere for Saul. And this time of year, we sing carols and we sing songs and we have traditional music. And that music can fill our hearts with gospel truth. Music is one of the ways that we can pivot away from fear and toward peace. And it's difficult to worry and worship at the same time. The fourth way that we can pursue peace is to discover God's glory through creation. And God frequently brings me into creation to calm my spirit. I love living here in the valley where we are surrounded by mountains and we are close to lakes. I think about ocean waves crashing and a pine tree that points toward heaven. I love that on some winter mornings, I can walk out the balcony of our two-story house, and in the corner, I can see the snow-capped Sierra Nevada mountains. And there's something about God's creation that has the power to calm our hearts. And so I want to encourage you, during this Christmas season, we live in a place where we can actually go outside, that you could take a walk, perhaps, with your family or with your spouse or even on your own and to lift your eyes and to see God's glory in creation. And especially for those of you in the room, maybe, who are grieving this season. One of the things that I did with my daughters um, after my husband passed away is that every night we would go outside and we would see the sunset. And they were little, and at first I remember one of my girls saying, Mom, why do we do this every night? And I said, well, every night God paints a different picture for us. And so it was this sacred kind of rhythm, spiritual practice for us that we would go out and we would watch this spectacular color show that God was painting across the sky. And even in my deep grief, 
that God would bring a peace to my heart through those sunsets, that he would calm my fears when we would do that together, a profound sense of peace that doesn't even come with words. The fifth one that I want to mention for today about pursuing peace is leaning into community. And I know that many of you are stepping into Christmas perhaps feeling a little bit raw and vulnerable this year. Maybe you've experienced a miscarriage or a recent cancer diagnosis, or you have a child who is estranged from your family. Maybe you have experienced the death of a spouse or a parent or grandparent. Maybe your heart feels heavy with what is going on in the world and what we see on the news about a war that feels a world away. Christmas is not the time to turn away from our grief. Actually, it's the time to draw close and to offer the present of our presence to each other. In my life, I've experienced so much redemption through community. I think about the many friends and family members who have come alongside me to literally hold me up through the years of grief and loss. And though this may not be everyone's story, part of the redemption in my life was bringing a man named Sean into my life. Um, Sean was actually a dear friend of my late husband, Eric Lee. They were friends in high school and college. And the three of us actually went on a mission trip together to the country of Haiti. Eric Lee's grandparents were pioneer missionaries in Haiti, and he led a trip there years ago, and we became fast friends. And when Eric Lee and I got married, Sean was a groomsman in our wedding. Later, Eric Lee and I started a nonprofit organization in Haiti, which is today called Haiti Gospel Outreach. And Sean was one of our faithful supporters. He prayed for us, and he provided for us financially through the years. And one of the things I remember is that Eric Lee, every day, would start our mornings together as a couple in prayer. And he would always pray for his dear friend, Sean, who was our single friend who we wished would find a woman. <laughs> Little did I know that we were praying all of those days and years for me. Through the years, God was cultivating a heart in Sean for widows. And he actually lived in Maryland for nine years and decided, because God was leading him to move back to California to, to actually care for his widowed mother who lived here. He had grown up in Fresno. And so he allowed the Holy Spirit to guide him in peace, that he might offer peace to his mother and that also is what led Sean to me. And so we were married in 2016, and he is today the adoptive father of my three daughters. And I have to say that our grief journey has been filled with both pain and joy, but God continues to bring us peace. And it's a peace that passes understanding. And it's a large part because of that redemption that came through Sean coming into our family. Friends, we have the opportunity every day to meet people in their sorrow and in their sickness with God's peace. And so you might be that person this morning. You might be that person who is grieving, who is 
secretly kind of dreading the holidays because maybe someone will be missing at your table or maybe you are just heavy with the division in your community or maybe you too are wondering when will the Prince of Peace come? I want to conclude by reading from Isaiah chapter 40, some of my favorite verses here, 29 to 31. And it gives us a beautiful vision, an image of an eagle. It says, He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This little passage of scripture has been one of my favorites through the years, but it really came alive for me in 2020 when I had this experience. I was actually running with my friend Bev, and we were doing a race called Walk, Run, Soar, which was to celebrate my new devotional book by the same name that was coming out. And so we were running at Woodward Park together, and I remember that we were on the trail towards a part that we call the corkscrew because it kind of makes a circle going down. Some of you may be familiar with it. And we were running, and I had this theme of soaring in my heart, especially for that year. I tend to pick a word of the year, and so soar was my word of the year that year. And so we were running, and then there we saw, perched on a post, was an eagle, a majestic eagle, and I could not think that this was an accident because God showed me through that eagle so much about waiting and about trust and about peace. And I did a little bit of research and I learned about eagles that they are birds, and you have probably seen at least photographs of them before, who have these amazingly strong wings and yet their bodies are very light. I learned that their bones are hollow, and so they actually only weigh about half a pound as a bird, but they are these huge, strong birds. And the eagles fly only by flapping their wings a few times, because what they do is they actually employ something called wind thermals. They use these wind thermals, and if you don't know what a wind thermal is, I had to look it up too. So, a wind thermal is a big gust of wind that rises up from the atmosphere. And eagles, what they do is they wait and they perch, like that eagle that we saw when we were running, and sometimes they actually perch for days, and they are waiting for the just right wind that would take them the farthest. And so I love this imagery that Isaiah is using here at the end of chapter 40 because it's a reminder to us that God can give us a dose of renewed strength, renewed power, and renewed peace while we are waiting for him, just like the eagle. And so like the eagle, we also must wait in hope. That's what Advent is all about. And as we are waiting, we are called to lean into God, our Father, who shepherds us with peace. We are called to listen to the Holy Spirit who guides us with peace. And we are looking to Jesus, 
who is coming again as the Prince of Peace. I want to close today by reminding us what I started with, that peace is a person. I felt that so strongly in my own life, that God, with his presence as the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son, was with me and is with me today. And I want to close by reading the lyrics to one of my favorite Christmas carols. And I think we're going to sing it actually in a moment here. The carol is Silent Night. And the words say this, Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild. Sleep in heavenly peace. Sleep in heavenly peace. Now, I did a little research on this carol, and I discovered that this carol actually was written hundreds of years ago in Austria, written by a priest who actually, after the wars, the Napoleonic Wars that were happening, went out on a starry night, and he saw his city, which he was so surprised was actually quiet. And he saw this silent night, holy night. And so it was written in the backdrop of war. And so even sometimes as I'm singing this song, I'm thinking to myself, Christmas is not silent. There's no way that Jesus, who was born to a teenage girl in a stable, without a midwife, with animals and manure and all of the things. There's no way that that was a silent, quiet, calm night. For those of us who have birthed, we know that birth is messy. <laughs> and so it probably wasn't that way. But as I learned a little bit more about where this song came from, I realized that this priest was perhaps doing what Isaiah was doing, looking into the future, dreaming of a time when the world would be silent, when the night would feel holy, when all that was calm would be resting in our hearts. And so when it says to sleep in heavenly peace, it's pointing us to the coming of Jesus. It's pointing us to the peace that we will enjoy in heaven, the peace that my husband is, join, is enjoying today with his Savior. And so I can't be sad about that. There is rejoicing in that. And the hymn concludes this way, Silent night, holy night, Son of God, love's pure light, radiant beams from thy holy face, with the dawn of redeeming grace, Jesus, Lord, at thy birth, Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God who shepherds our hearts so personally. That there's actually an image here in Isaiah of you gathering us in your arms. And God, I don't pretend to know what people in this room, how they feel about their earthly fathers. But we know that you are a father who is tender and strong 
God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit who continues to guide us to peace. I pray that you would lift our eyes in whatever circumstances we're in today, that we would follow the guidance of your Spirit, that we would not be tempted like the Israelites to rely on our own strength, that whatever we are warring against, Father, that you would guide us in the path. And I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you for Jesus, the Prince of Peace, who comes today and will come in the future to rule on earth and to rule in our hearts. And so, God, we lift up this time. We lift up this week to you in perfect peace. Amen.